This morning, our corporate reading will come from Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. So we will read corporately. This is also our, our text for our sermon this morning. So Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, numbers 178 in your hymnal. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts alighted, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those or toward us who have believed according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for this, for your great and awesomeness, your greatness, your awesomeness, your splendor. Lord, we pray that you uh, be with Josh as he brings forward your message this morning. Help him to speak only truths about you. Help us to hear your truth, Lord. Learn how to apply it, incorporate it into our lives. And Lord, help us to just praise you today as we learn about your greatness and your glory. In your name we pray and thank you for everything. Amen. All right. Um, We are going to be continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. It's really interesting that our hymnal has. It seems like the first three chapters, at least all of that, and then it skips to another like fifth chapter, I think. But these are in here as corporate readings, so we want to take the opportunity to be reading God's Word together, literally together. And so uh, just really special that we get to do that. I don't promise we do that all the time. It just happens to be working out. So, yep, we're going to... That's why we did it. Um, but we're, we're continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians, and I really appreciate the hymn I didn't know, which was uh, two ago, I don't remember the name, but like the words of that hymn were, were very much what we're going to be talking about today and hit all these themes. Paul's writing in Ephesians to the Ephesian believers and others who will read his letter about God's plan. We've been talking about that in this book. Paul reminds us of God's plan for all time that was found in Ephesians 1 verse 10 to unite all things in him, in Jesus. Last week we talked about how awesome uh, it is that we get to be a part of um, God, that we are part of God's plan to unite all things in Jesus. We are actually a part of what he's uniting. And that's an amazing promise for those who are followers of him. In today's passage, we're going to turn our attention to who Jesus is and how he is beyond anything we can imagine. And the authority he has to be uniting all things uh, in him. So here, here's my questions for the kids. Kids, are you ready? I want you to think of something, and I'll, I'll, 
I'll wait for a second so you can think. But I want you to think of something that is awesome. Okay? Think about it. All right. Tell me something that's awesome. What's awesome? Do you know anything that's awesome? Yeah, go ahead. The city museum is pretty awesome. What makes the city museum awesome? Yeah, go ahead. The way they do sculptures and then you climb on them? Oh, wow, that's fun. What else is awesome? Tell me something else that's awesome. When Nathaniel was little, we used to watch a lot of uh, Mighty Machines. I don't know if you know that. It's an older show, TV show, but it's all about like dump trucks and fire trucks and big like construction equipment. And those were, especially when he was little, I don't know today, but when he would admit it when he was little, like those were awesome to him. Like the dump truck that comes by our house, like if he was this tall still, he would have been, he'd be at the window just like watching the, the arm come down, think that that's awesome. Just the power, the machinery, he just would find that awesome. I still do. Yeah, and some people still do. So, um, so tell me someone who's awesome. Have you ever, do you know somebody who's awesome? If Kimberlyn was here, I'll speak for her since she's not here. I don't know about the other ones, but um, if she was here, uh, we enjoy, we've enjoyed this um, last, I guess, several months of watching a soccer player, Lionel Messi, move to the United States and just be pretty amazing in what he's been able to accomplish and how he's changed the sport in the United States. I don't know if you knew this, but soccer is not the most popular thing here, but it's really changing um, amazingly because of his influence and and he's just been pretty awesome the question was will he ever have a game where he didn't score and there was one and everybody was like oh is the awesomeness over but he keeps going Um, but but what makes something awesome and it's really kind of this word is a funny thing this word awesome when we use this word awesome we're actually describing the results of understanding the object or of knowing the person or at least about the person. We're describing the, the results in us. We're describing something or someone by our reaction to it, which is really strange to think about uh, when we think about how we describe something. But it's helpful today. And let me demonstrate why. Tell me three ways um, that you could describe God. Describe God. What are three things that describe God? Yeah. He's merciful. Okay. What else? Everywhere. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I'll let you cheat. All right. So the, except for the awesome one, because that's going to blow up my whole illustration here, but the other ones, God is, God is awesome in each of those ways. Like, he's everywhere, but beyond what we could even imagine what that to mean. He is, um, he is loving. He is merciful. He is kind. He is those things beyond what we can imagine. Uh, in the second section of our church's statement of faith, uh, we talk about the aspects of God, different aspects of God. We list out his perfection and all of his qualities. Uh, we say that God is just and loving and good, but he is 
perfectly those things, completely those things. For Ephesians, the power of God is incredibly, uh, the power of anything, but of God is, was an important concern. We're going to talk about that as we go along. God is powerful, and we call God's all-powerfulness his omnipotence or omnipotence if you want to say it i say it lots of different ways depends on the moment specifically today we are going to speak to jesus's omnipotence to go uh with the word awesome in ephesians 1 15 through 23 we're going to see that jesus is awesome but he's more than that he is awesomer and so that i knew that would annoy some people so i put it on the board And there we go. And that's going to bug some, but I wanted to do this on purpose. Today, uh, we, this is true, but everything that we think of as true, is it's beyond that when we're talking about God. When we're talking specifically about Jesus, he's actually more than that. Today, just like last week, we're going to look at a single Greek sentence. Every verse that we read together is all one sentence from verse 15 to verse 23. Just like last week, we read a huge Greek sentence. And we know that this is one kind of train of thought. You already have the amazing truth. The amazing truth is God, Jesus is awesomer. That's the truth. Now, uh, he's above everything. We must, also, uh, we must then do what? What's the, the thing we should do about it? A clear application. We should make him known. We should know him and make him known. That should be what we do. Talk about him. Share him with others. And know more ourselves. All of that is part of our response when we understand who Jesus is and how awesomer he is. That's fun to say. Also, the last thing, God is with us. We're going to see that in our passage in a couple different places. These are all here, but it will not kind of go in order. So I put that up here on purpose to start with because we'll reference back and forth. So uh, I'll leave it here as we walk through our passage. Let's begin in verse 15. So verse 15, we're going to read through part of verse 18. For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Let's stop there for just a moment. Paul says he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. And it's actually this love, it's not just that he heard about it, but he heard this love that shows Paul that God is working in their lives. And remember last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit in your life is an indication that you are his, that you are there. That's the seal for you. For Christians, love should drive all that we do. We, we want to study the Bible more because we love him. We want to care for others because, God love, uh, because of God's love for us. Paul is showing them his love by writing this letter and praying for them, which is what we just read. But then in verse 17, Paul transitions from thankfulness to asking that God would grow these believers in their knowledge and understanding of God, of him. Notice how they grow in their understanding. It says, as the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him gives it to them. So this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, who is that? I mean, in most, in a lot of translations, they capitalize the word spirit there. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in people, in our understanding and knowledge. In Sunday school, uh, we were talking about Melchizedek and like, 
What if we just found out about Melchizedek? Well, the Holy Spirit is involved in us learning about who this is and what it means and why it's significant. That's he is involved. In fact, the Holy Spirit's not the only one involved. If we see the whole Trinity in verse 17, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory and the Spirit of wisdom and the revelation of all, all, all these things, are invo- they're involved here. If we are God's people, he is with us. God is involved in your growth. And this should be insure, uh, just a reassuring type thing. If you want to grow, call on him. Sure, you still have to do the work. You still have to read the Bible. You still have to be faithful in those things and, and faithful to what you find. But as you do that, God can grow you. He's ultimately uh, capable of this. He can, he can do it, and he will. From evangelism to teaching somebody in Sunday school to preaching before people, you, under, you should understand that God is involved. God is part of the study. He's part of uh, just growing yourself. I don't have to wait, get up here on Sunday morning and just wait for God to create new thoughts and inspiration for me. There are some people who do that, by the way. I don't know what they're doing, but we don't have to wait for that. Why I'm, when I, I don't speak to you unprepared, or I try not to, because I know that God is involved in that process too. He will give you the knowledge that you need for the activities he prepares you for. So be Bold. That should embolden us. He's prepared you for what you're faced with or the opportunity you have. Share what you know. Share his truth wherever you get the opportunity to do it. Be bold in it. Do you know everything? No. (laughs) But that's okay because he's involved in what you know even right now as you get the opportunity to share. Paul prays that God um, to the God who is with us to enlighten or to grow the Ephesians in knowing God and in understanding what he's done. Let's not miss the other part, though. Paul himself is part of that process. He's sharing knowledge and understanding with them as well, just right through this letter. Paul is doing it too. He's making Jesus known. Paul's working for the Ephesians' spiritual growth, and he's praying that God will grant it. Those two things go together says something about our role and God's role in growing other people and growing one another in our understanding of who God is. We should strive to help others to grow through sharing with them the truth of God while we're also praying for God to move. Great example for us. So let's keep moving to verse 18. Paul says, I'm praying, what does he pray? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. We're going to stop right there. So after thanking God for the Ephesians and their faith, Paul prays that the Holy Spirit will give the Ephesians an understanding of three different things. Three things. First, Paul pray, uh, asked that they would know the hope of God. So, do you know that hope? Why do God's people have hope? We have hope because God loves us. Last week we talked about if we are followers, how if we are followers of Jesus, God saw us, He sought us, He saved us, and He sealed us. It wasn't our plan. He was involved. In fact, He was involved before we could have been involved. He has a plan. And that's assuring to us. It's, it was his plan, even while we were his enemies. We weren't just neutral in the whole thing. We were his enemies. That means that he is the one who can keep us. Our hope is not dependent on us. It's completely dependent on him. And that's a good thing. Second, Paul asks the Holy Spirit to let them know the riches of the inheritance of God. 
So what riches do we have in the inheritance of God? We talked about this idea last week, actually. Here, it's uh, explicitly God's inheritance, though. Last time we talked that there's, there may be some possibility that we are the inheritance of God or God is the inheritance of us. But this week, this one clearly is that it's God's inheritance. To some degree, we are the riches of God. He has created us, but in Jesus, God is fashioning us into a holy community that knows him, that serves him, and that worships him always. We're going to hit this same idea in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 5. It's huge in those places. If you're truly a Christian, you, your inheritance in God and in being with God is the greatest blessing that you, you're able to imagine. The greatest blessing that's possible. But Paul, Paul prays for a third thing. Paul asks the Holy Spirit to let them know the power of God. And this is where Paul gets caught up. He just kind of sticks in this idea for a while, in the power of God. So let's reread verse 19 through 21. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Let's notice a few things here. Notice first that the direction of God's power is, is indicated here. Where is it? Towards us. Think about that. The power of God is directed towards us who believe. That's, that's a pretty amazing thing. The unthinkable power of God is directed towards you and me and on behalf of you and me if we believe and trust in Jesus. That's amazing. Second, notice the way Paul describes the power of God. He called the God's power immeasurably great. He talks of the working of his great might. These are all words that suggest that this power is big and goes beyond anything we can comprehend. This power is awesome, but beyond that, it's awesomer. Notice Jesus' position in verse 20. He is at the right hand of the Father. It's not an inequality. It's actually a statement of power. When the Bible talks about the right hand of God, it's talking about his power, his strength. Jesus is at the right hand. In some ways, we could say that Jesus, in a way, if that is the right hand is the symbol of power and authority, then Jesus is the right hand of God, we could almost say. Peter O'Brien, in his commentary on Ephesians, noted that uh, angels stand or fall in worship in God's presence. We see that in 1 Kings. We see that in Revelation. We see that in other places. But the exalted Son sits in God's presence. This suggests that Jesus is divine. He is part of this. He is uh, omnipotent. He is all-powerful God himself. Third, notice the ultimate expression of God's power in the ultimate example of this unthinkable power is Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and exaltation. Paul sees the power of God right here, and I admit, I admit up front, like, when I think about Jesus, first thing I do is I gravitate to the scene of the cross, and the sacrifice of the cross. And I don't think that's wrong, um, uh, but, but Jesus humbled himself completely, even to rejection, to abuse, to death. That, that's where my mind goes, and that's, this is shocking in a way to me. But Paul sees God's power most clearly 
shown in the resurrection. I've been thinking about this all week. Uh, the resurrection and the ascension and even the exaltation, putting Jesus up where he should be. That's where we see God's power. Paul talks about this in lots of different places. Uh, in the Corinthians, we see references to it. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. And I know this truth intellectually, but it's challenged me this week to think about the power of Jesus. Not the compassion, not the mercy like we said here, not those, but the power of Jesus. How often do you think about Jesus's power or position of power in this world? We want, we want his power. We think that's good. But we often picture Jesus actually as this kind-faced man in a robe who hangs out with lambs and children. And like, that's what we think about. We see this in paintings and stained glass. And, and it, maybe not completely, but to a degree, we, we gravitate that way. How often do we think about the powerful Jesus? He always is that. Sometimes uh, it's good for us to get caught up in this, which is where Paul is today. So back in Ephesians chapter 1, look at Paul's words in verse 120. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I think about Paul's strong words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 and 17. So I'm going to share both of those. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. The resurrection is important. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The resurrection is important, incredibly important. It's a display of Jesus's, of God's power over sin and death. It's not only the resurrection, though. Paul says in verse 21 that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Jesus is positionally above all things of authority. Rule, authority, power, and dominion aren't just synonyms for the Ephesians, at least. Earlier, I told the kids that, that power was of particular importance to the Ephesians. A, a little background helps us to understand that. In Acts 19, Paul makes his, his way to Ephesus for the first time. We read about that in Acts 19. He preaches and he teaches there for multiple years. Luke tells us that some of the Jewish exorcists, uh, they, they chased out demons. There were some Jewish guys... Uh, not Christian, who would seek to deliver people from demon possession. And these guys recognize the power in the name of Jesus. And they, they say uh, to the demon, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. The demon responds that he, he knows Jesus, he's heard of Paul, but who are you? And then he overpowers them, beats them up, humiliates them, and chases them off. So there are demons there. This is in Ephesus. Not only were there demons and demonic powers in the city, there were also lots of people who tried to control these magical spiritual powers as well. In Acts chapter 19, verse 18 through 20, uh, this tells of many of those who were now believers. They came, it says, the, the verse 18 says, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, telling what they did. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. So that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. These believers and the cost of their magical books and scrolls or whatever they had shows there, there are many people in Ephesus who are seeking power in every way. Spiritual power as well. In writing about this passage, uh, there, there's a scholar named Clinton Arnold. He demonstrated that several of the, the rare Greek words that we find in this Ephesians passage appear in magical papyrus 
uh, and papyri, I guess you say that plural, I don't know, papyri, and spiritual inscriptions that are found all around Ephesus. So he went to Ephesus, he found things that people found in Ephesus or inscriptions on the walls that seem magical, and found certain vocabulary that he points to this passage. And says, look, this is what Paul's describing. In Ephesians, Paul says that Jesus is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. So not only is he uh, above all dominions and powers and all these positions, but he's also above every name, not only now, but in the age to come. Perhaps the most powerful name in Ephesus was the Greek god Artemis. In Acts 19 as well, we see a riot against the Christians. The crowd shout, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul is directly challenging this and suggesting that Jesus' name is greater, far greater. But also, we have to think about what's a name. What is a name? There are some people who talk about or repeat the name of Jesus over and over, some, like some kind of charm or magic word. And it really isn't that. Saying the name of Jesus over and over is, is really, I, I don't think, and we can have a discussion about this later if you have some questions or thoughts. Like, we can talk about it, but I, I don't think the name has power. I think it's funny um, how American culture has had to deal with Hispanic culture. And there are a lot of guys named Jesus or whatever, and, and Americans struggle like, oh, his name is Jesus. Isn't that weird? Um, but... It's a name. It's a good name. In fact, the name of Jesus is the Greek version of a really great name, Joshua, which I happen to like. It's a great name. Nothing wrong with the name, but it's just a name. The idea of name throughout the Bible points to the being behind that name, the object of that name. In the name of the Lord, it's calling for the action to be associated with the being known as the Lord, as God himself. Jesus' name is, is no magic word. It's a name, uh, and like I said, a fine name, of the man of our God who is beyond anything we can imagine. If all of this is on track, then Paul is making it very clear that Jesus is above every power, whether we're talking about local authorities or entire cultures or spiritual beings or systems of spiritual authority of some kind. All of that, Jesus is above all of it. This isn't just true for today. Verse 21 gives us even a step further. It says that Jesus is above all others in both this age and the age to come. For now and forevermore, Jesus is at the top. So whoever you are, Jesus is awesomer than you or anyone will ever, uh, than anybody who will ever come along, than anybody you will ever meet. This is not a temporary situation. Verse 22 and 23 continues this idea, and it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul quotes Psalm 8 when he mentions God putting everything under Jesus' feet, showing that Jesus is the ultimate man. Paul then calls Jesus the head over all things. Jesus is the head over everything that exists, both physically and spiritually. We use head in the same type of way when we talk about the head of a corporation. The CEO is the head of the company, or the founder is the head of the charity. We use that same concept here, that they're using here. Once again, the point is that Jesus is on top. But then there's a shock, a shock that comes kind of at the end of this passage in the second part of verse 22. So here's the shocking part. Jesus, who is the head over all things, who is in charge of all things, is given to the church. 
We have to let that sink in. It's an amazing promise. It's an assurance to us. We should probably ask, if Jesus is as amazing as Paul says, then why does he care about us? Why would he care about us? Remember that Christianity begins in realizing how undeserving you are. You're a rebel against God. You're an enemy. But then God sees you. Well, not really. In the words of our passage last week, God knew you. He loved you. He um, already in Jesus. And if you accept what he has done for you, he saved you. You're special to God. And what makes you special? The answer is that you're special to God. You see the circular part there? You're special because God says you're special. The best parallel I can come up with for the amazingness of this this idea that God would care about us at all uh, is to think of somebody who has a lot of relational distance from myself, like some kind of celebrity. And I chose not to use Taylor Swift and instead go with the President of the United States. Now, this is not political and it has nothing to do with any particular president. So it could be anybody. I'm not saying anything political in this. Our country is a huge country with a lot of people in it, right? The president has a lot of power and influence in comparison to me. His name is known while my name is not. I uh, I can hope to influence the president by my vote potentially to some minute degree, my advocacy maybe to the government or something like that. I can hope to influence my president by my connection with others, maybe as we group together. But I'm not likely to have any individual influence if I simply send him a text message, hey, president, or hey, sir, if I try to be really polite. I don't even have his number, by the way. But a a quick, hello, sir, please repave our roads in Canton isn't going to move him much. It's not going to make that much difference. Why? Because my name is very small and his name is very big. He has bigger things to deal with than my concerns. The relationship of Jesus to us um, is, is not really like that in two ways. First way, Jesus is much further removed from me than the president is. Our relational distance is infinitely big. Awesomely, burb, I don't know, I can't do that one. Big. It's true. This is true uh, by all that Paul is saying. Jesus is so far beyond us. But Jesus is this part given to the church. That means that if we are God's people, we are unified in him, in the church. We are his people and Jesus positionally and powerfully is given to us. This doesn't mean for control. It means of his deep, it's talking of his deep care. Unlike the president, Jesus cares about you cares about me okay so he cares about his people but how deep could that be think of all the people that uh, claim to follow Jesus how deep could Jesus care about every single one of us he's big we're small he's over all things even together how much should he even care about us look at verse 23 again the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all It says that we are his body. Now, we need to be careful here because we associate things automatically. And I think there's some some careful wordings here, but we need to be careful. We We can think this means that Jesus is the physical head that tells the body what to do. Like the head says to the body, do this. So Jesus tells us what to do. And to a degree, that's a little bit true, but that's not what the picture is here. 
By the way, your head doesn't just tell your body what to do. It's part of your body. So what it tells the body to do, it receives as well. They work together. But as I said, that's not even the picture. Let me explain. Jesus was called the head over all things in verse 22. We don't lose that when we move on. But the idea of the body actually takes in something that Paul explores much more further or much more deeply in Ephesians 5. Let me read for you these verses from Ephesians 5, verse 22. Um, It is not all that I wrote down there. 22 through 23, I bet, not 33. (laughs) For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the body. His body, um, his body, and is himself its savior. Let me save as much of my marriage comments as I can for that passage. There's a lot there, but follow me here. What does the head, Jesus, do for the body? He is himself its savior. This is the attitude of Ephesians 1 as well. The head, Jesus, saves his church. He is there for his church. And this is, this is flawed, but it's as if the president of the United States, in my illustration earlier, calls me up and says, hey, what do you care about? What can I do for you today? He cares so much that Jesus Uh, the president, what if he cared so much that he said, hey, I'll sacrifice for you. That's not going to happen. But Jesus did. uh, And his commitment to you is more than this president because he's even more than this. Staying in Ephesians 5, let me, let me kind of jump again. Uh, Let me read again, beginning in verse 28. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are the members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The New New English translation says, notes translation notes point out that christ has so identified himself with his church that is said to be his very body much as adam describes eve as bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and as god declared man to be uh, or god declared man and wife to be one flesh i'm going to skip over this a bit but the picture of jesus in the church is not a hierarchy of power here paul is Uh, spent time setting up the hierarchy of power already to show that Jesus is above everything. In this elevated Jesus, God himself in all right, privilege and power is given and has given himself for the church and has given himself to the church. Paul's final comment is one uh, that that the one who fills all things, God himself, Jesus himself, fills his people, his body, the church. If this is true, as uh, our role as our role in him as ones full of him should be to what fill the earth with him to share that bring that to others the picture of jesus power given for us is where paul's thoughts dwell throughout this entire chapter and and what does it do it sends us out it should fill us and we should go out and be sharing those things why because this is shocking because we don't deserve this It's only his love for us that's doing any of this. And we got in a picture today of who he is, just who he is, how awesome he is. So last week, we said that God has a plan to unite all things in Jesus. Today, we're focusing on who we are united in, who this Jesus is. Jesus is 
over everything. And if we are God's people like the Ephesians that Paul is praying for, then the truths that Paul shares here should make us stand back and say, wow, like I told you that this is where we would be at the end of every week, at least for a while. We just stand back and look at this God we serve and say, wow, we can only look in awe. We can only ask, God, why do you love me? How can you love me this much? Why do you do this for me? Why am I included in your family? We can ask those questions. Just stand in awe. Your only response should be awe. And then what? Love. And then devotion to him. Does that describe you? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you uh, never really acknowledged how bad you are. Maybe you've never set Jesus in charge of your life. Maybe you just never really thought about it. Are you living your life for you or for him? We all deserve, um, there's an awful truth that exists, that we all deserve to be eternally separated from God. We all deserve hell. And we all deserve this, but we, uh, when we truly understand our failure before God and when we have no hope outside of him and we are in the right place to cry out to him and say, save me. The awesome part is that if you truly cry out, his, uh, he will. His love and what he has done can change you. And the rest of your life, you can join others like us as we explore what the implications of this are. And just stand in awe of the power of who Jesus is and that he loves us. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. I wrote a whole application thing and then I reflected on the outline of my thoughts as we walked through this passage. And it led me to see a pattern and realize Jesus already did this in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 23. Let me read it for you. Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see our outline again? Jesus is awesomer than everything. That's what we talked about. Verse 19 through 22 really emphasized Jesus is awesomer than everything. What did Jesus tell them in Matthew 28? Tell his disciples after the resurrection. He says, he has all authority. All authority has been given to me. We can just stand in awe. Wow. Maybe you haven't, uh, you aren't looking for power, but maybe love. Jesus excels in that too. Maybe you're looking for truth or service or some of these other mercy Jesus is awesomer in every area. So we have a truth there. Jesus is awesomer. But then we come to an application. We must know him and make him known. Jesus says what in Matthew 28? He tells his disciples to go and make disciples, baptizing them into faithfulness and teaching them everything. There's, by the way, no limit to everything. Everything is everything. Like Paul uh, is suggesting to the Ephesians, our awe of God should drive us to want to know God more, and that should um, send us out to share that truth with others. So how do we know God more? Read your Bible regularly. Let it shape your life. Sure. Find new ways to plug into God's people. Sure. Invite others to join with us and tell them of your awe of Jesus. Yes. Like Paul, our awe should cause us to want to see others grow too. So how are you helping others to know Jesus? Who are you telling? Who are you sharing with? Who are you growing? Paul shared with the Ephesians truth in this letter. Theology in this letter. Understanding of God in this letter. And then he prays that God would 
Grow them. Are we doing that? I hope we are. Finally, there's a promise. So we have a truth, we have the application, and then we have a promise. He is with us. Jesus, promise, Jesus promises to be with us always in Matthew 28, verse 20, even to the end of the age. In Ephesians 1:17, we saw that the role of the Holy Spirit, the role the Holy Spirit has in developing us. Ask God to help you to grow in your understanding of him. Ask God to help others to grow. That's what we should do. And then recognize the promise Paul points to in Ephesians 1.22. Jesus is given to us. He promises to be with us and for us no matter what we're going through. That's an awesome promise. We should be and stand amazed. Maybe fall on our face amazed at the God we worship. Let me pray for us as we consider these things. God, we are, we can't comprehend you completely. It's an impossibility for us and you are so much bigger and so far beyond anything we can imagine. God, I pray that that you would help us. I pray like Paul that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand you more fully. Understand what you've done more fully. God, I pray that it changes us. Excites us. Drives us to, to share it with other people because we're so excited. God, help that to be true of us. God, we are, we are weak. We don't know why. You love us the way you do. We, we are just amazed by it. But God, work through our weakness. Overcome our weakness. God, be faithful through us. That you would change our lives. You change the lives of those around us. God, that you would change uh, the lives of people who would be connected to this church. And God, that you would change this community. God, do awesome things that show who you are, that we can just praise you. And I pray that that you just bring this to mind. We realize um, just how amazing you are. Lord, we thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.